0: Okay, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, Uh, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, part 2. Let's uh, begin in prayer, as always. Father, we just thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, Lord, those that are listening via podcast, those, Lord, couldn't make it, Lord, or recovering, whatever it might be, Lord, we uh, also lift up Pastor Gigi to you as he's recovering at home. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you guide us through our study tonight, Lord, as we go into these visions of, as you gave to Ezekiel, Lord, and what they mean, uh, what it meant to Ezekiel, what it meant to uh, the people back in that time. But also, what does it mean to us today? What does it mean to the church today? How are we to use this? What is the understanding that we glean from all of this? So, Father, we just thank you that one more time you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is that you have for us. And so in this we we'll give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just you probably can't see the cities on this, but I just wanted to put up a visual. This is Israel right here. Mediterranean Sea. This is Egypt. And because well, we're talking a lot about that they're going into Babylonian uh, captivity, Babylon is right here. So basically Jerusalem and Judah was right in here. So they were in Babylonian uh, uh, exile there. Also on this map is uh, Ur. You are, that's where uh, Abraham was from. And so when God sent him on his journey over to here, you don't go through the desert. You go through the fertile crescent this way, around this way, because this is where all the water is at, and the rivers and stuff. This is all desert. So he went up this way. And so, and then also up here is Nineveh. This is where Jonah Mm -hmm. uh, was ministering. And then up here in Turkey, Mount Erekat, that's where they believe that the Noah's Ark was. And you can actually, uh, um, there's some satellite photographs of that where they think they actually see the Ark embedded in the ice. But The Turkish government won't let anybody up there. Mm -hmm. So they... Kind of feel that's where that rested uh, there. But that's kind of the thing. So it's just a visual. This is present, would be present day Israel. Judah was down here in the lower part. So Babylon was right over there, just so you have a a deal with that. So they call this the Near East. And over here is China and all that stuff. That's the Far East. Okay? So this is the Sinai Peninsula. So just as a visual. So you have. A point there, because I keep referencing it, so I just want to put something in your mind. Also, as we begin tonight, Ezekiel's active ministry, what we're talking about, is 22 years. He ministers for about 22 years. Now, um, what we're going to deal with tonight is continued vision that he got from God. God calls him, and he gets the vision. But what I want you to kind of see if we can begin to... Follow the pattern. You know, when someone writes something, there's a pattern to how they write. They want you to know something. And so there's a particular pattern to how they write. For example, and it's not unlike when we were talking about um, in Revelation, uh, Revelation according to John, that, you know, it talks about the uh, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And we start reading that, and we say, wait a minute, what is all this stuff? Well, you know, a seal talks about a scroll that was in heaven. They broke the seal. Only one person was allowed to do that, was righteous enough to do that. That's Jesus Christ. He breaks the seal and reads the scroll. We're going to be talking about scrolls tonight. So I'm saying this. So he reads the scroll. Then in in Revelation, you have the trumpet announcements. Trumpet just means an announcement, a proclamation of something is going to happen. And then after that, then you have the bowl judgments. Bowl, is it's poured out. And my point here is that in Revelation it talks about all three of those things, but it's just one event. Armageddon, the end days. So sometimes when you read it, you think it's three separate wars or three separate... Occur- it's just one. But there's a pattern. He says, this is what the scroll, the official scroll says in heaven. This is the announcement to the world. The trumpet. And then the bowl, here's the actual judgment. But it's all the same thing. There's a pattern there. So there's a similar pattern here. Uh, We're going to be talking about it a little bit. And uh, just so you realize, chapters 1 to 12, it's all visions. He hasn't got to his actual ministry yet. And then chapters 13 to 24 are signs. So he's going to be given vision, and then he's going to get signs and then he's going to do his ministry <laughs> so for 24 chapters he's not he's not into his ministry he's getting revelation from god so again it's 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 what they call literary criticism you look at the way the author wrote you look at the style you look at the framework what what's the story that's being told and it's it's very if if you're into uh uh English language or if you're into uh literary you know literature and stuff like that Ezekiel is a very uh a good book to read because it's very uh very profound in the way it's laid out uh, but sometimes when you when you first approach it, it seems so daunting because you're talking about all the stuff we talked about last week and now you got visions and you know you lose the time frame so if we know in our mindset. He's getting for twelve chapters. We're not going to go through all of them, but he's getting visions, and some of the visions will explain the visions. So, in other words, uh, he got a, uh, he's getting a vision this tonight that he will be explained to him in chapter ten later on. You know, so this is all visions and, and signs, so, sometimes the signs explain the visions, the visions explain the signs, but it's all one big thing for. For 24 chapters, God is commissioning him, getting him ready to go out to do ministry. Okay? So now we're ready for chapter 2 of Ezekiel. Any questions? Okay, put your seatbelt on. We're ready to go. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, chapter 2. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. The Spirit entered him. What does that mean? Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Holy Spirit. Not not unlike Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down. And so... In the Old Testament, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was just on certain people to do a task. Moses, David, Ezekiel, Daniel, it wasn't on everybody. Now, as born-again believers, we get what? Our spirit is reborn. Christ is now on the inside of us. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of of the Holy Spirit. So when it says it enters him, that's just the Holy Spirit. In other words... He's going to be, everything he does is going to be, uh, God is going to direct it. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, enabling us to do ministry, right? So this indwelling is, is, is the power, the ability to do ministry. You know, we cannot do ministry without the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's like a sermon, you know. A lot of times, people will say, "Oh, you know, I got this out of it, and I got that out of it," and I'm like, Whoa wow, that's pretty cool," because this is what I got. But it's God imparting; God does that, you know. Because I just get to share the message that I have, but the Holy Spirit distributes to you know everyone as needed. So yeah, it's the indwelling of the the Holy Spirit there. But again, if you're if you're not in tune to that, you think, "Oh, wait a minute." The Spirit entered him. Dun, 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 dun. No, it's not that. It's just what we all know as Christians, right? Okay. Verse 3 and 4. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel. Oh, by the way, why do you think he refers to him as Son of man? I just just a thought just came to my head. Son of man? I was reading. What was the question? Why, why do you think he, he refers to him as Son of Man?
1: I was reading the living Bible. What is that
0: one? Yeah, no. living. Yeah.
1: And it can saying that i the son of dust. Mm-hmm.
0: So, throughout. So, basically what he's saying is, Son of Man. Ezekiel is not an angel. Ezekiel is not an extraterrestrial. He's not a, he's, a, he's a human being like all of us that God is using. Son of Man. It's a designation. Okay. We, we could all have that same designation, right? Son of humankind, daughter of humankind. Okay, verse 3 again. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord." God sends them to a rebellious, stubborn, obstinate people—not like any of us, right? <laughs> you know, it's—it's it's, you know they rebelled against God, so that's why they're number one. That's why they're over here in, in, in Babylonian captivity because He had other prophets come to them while they were over here and tell them if you don't get your act straight, you're going to end up in captivity, and they didn't do it so that's where they are right now that's where the story is taking place they're in Babylon in captivity so when it says sons of as I told you before uh, it's Hebrew literature and it's written in the male form it means children of but this particular one the way it's translated it it, it conveys the idea of family that they are a family we are all a, a family you know, to this family of obstinate people who didn't didn't listen. They're now over here. Okay? That's that idea of it. But usually when you read Sons of, uh, even in the New Testament in, in Greek, it it really literally should be translated children of. But it's it's a male form that that it's written in. That's why they do sons of. Uh and so basically, he's going to a bunch of sinners, right? And he's going to say, thus saith the Lord, to a bunch of people who've been rebelling. So think about, you know, he's called to this. And you know, this is, this is not the prize job here. These are the people that are obstinate, people that are stubborn, people that don't want to hear this, people that grumble, people that complain. Uh, and he's supposed to now tell them, in a forceful way, because again, it's going to take 24 chapters to build him up and get him strong enough to go do this. Thus saith the Lord, right? In verse Yeah.
1: Can I go back to verse 1 and to ask you? So he said that God spoke to him, he said to me, Stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Mm-hmm. But then verse 2 is the Spirit. It's the one that, you know, made him
0: stand up. Mm-hmm. Well, he's telling them, he's commanding them, stand on their feet, because with the last chapter, and whenever they encounter God, they're what? Yes. They're like that. So he's, he's telling them, stand, get ready to go. And as he's doing that, the Spirit comes into him. It's, it's kind of a twofold, mm-hmm. fold thing going on. So, because he's going to say it to them again, uh, almost the same way. So, yeah. Any other questions, thoughts? Again... Stop me at any time. Not a problem. Verse 25. I mean, (laughs) verse 5. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. They will know. In other words, God's going to make it known to them outside of the fact that you're supposed to go to them and say, thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. But God is also going to do some things that's going to make it known that this is my prophet. So in other words, not only is, you know, the Holy Spirit in him, you know, indwelling, helping him do this, God's going to be there. So those people are going to know this person is from me, right? So it's, it's uh, he's commissioning him. He's telling him, you know, uh, what's going to happen. But he's also warning him, saying this is not going to be a walk in the park. This is not going to be easy. By any by any standard, it's not going to be easy at It's kind of like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he was the one who, the last prophet, and came and told them, "You're the generation that's actually going to be taken off the land." And so he was weeping, and he delivered a hard message to them, and they still didn't listen. Still didn't listen. Not, I mean, it's it's not any different today, right? When we preach the gospel, these people just don't want to listen. Pages, But does that stop us from going? Does that change God's plan? No. Right. Uh, Verse 6 to 10. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. So in other words, these people are going to be talking back to him. They're not only just going to be saying, no, I don't want to hear it. They're going to be going back at him. Uh, Neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words, nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Notice, you're going to speak my words whether they listen or not. Again, we want to teach evangelism. Preach the gospel whether they accept it or not. Preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. God, God does the backside of it. We just deliver the message. We're just the messengers there. Uh, for the rebellious house, verse 7. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now, you son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. And right here we start to our mind starts to go Whoa wait a minute Wait a minute Verse nine Then I looked and behold a hand was extended to me and lo a scroll was in it. Then he spread it out before me. It was written on the front and back. Written on it were Lamentations, mourning and woe. Okay, let's park the car, roll down the windows, keep the motor running. Scroll means it's an official document, right? Remember, and back in that day, you did not go. You didn't have books. There was no printing presses. You didn't have that. Documents were written on scrolls, and the ones that had scrolls were either the priests or the kings, The scripture was on scroll, official document from God, or the or the or a decree was written by a by a uh, a king or Pharaoh, or whatever, on a scroll. So in that day when you heard scroll, this is an official document. Just like in the the book of Revelation, you have the seal is broken on the scroll in heaven. In other words, an official document. Okay, so we wouldn't say it like that now, but that's the way they said it then, because that was what was official to them then, right? So a scroll means it's an official document. And where is it coming from? Heaven. Same place in Revelation when God is talking and, he, and he's in heaven and he's, he's seeing the throne room of God and he sees the scroll. So it's coming right from the throne room of God. And now here's where, again, because again, don't forget, visions. This is visions he's getting. So it's not an actual thing. No actual hand is coming out laying this thing in front of me, he's getting a vision of it. But then that terminology there, eat, what do you think that means? Study. Study? study. So sort of. Make it part of you. Uh, yeah, because when you eat something, you know, it becomes part of who you are, so that you're going to give it back out. So <coughs> study. So in, in other words, Pay attention to what I'm telling you because you are going to have to consume this and now you're going to have to give it back out. Right? Not any different than what we do today as Christians, right? That's why I don't preach, preach from the book of Steve I preach from the Bible because this is our marching orders. This is what God says. This is what we use, right? This is our, our manual. This is our text. Uh, let's see. Pastor... Yeah. Going back to part of 6, verse 6, of uh, Bray, uh, brayers, thorns, and scorpions. Oh, yeah. Are those the description of the people? Yeah, the again? people. They're going to sting you. Mm-hmm. And guess what they're going to sting you? You're sitting on them. Because he's telling them, don't be afraid of what they say to you. It's going to be like sitting on thorns or a, a scorpion. You know, it's going to be it's going to be treacherous. He says, "But don't fear." And if you've ever, um, and parallel to preaching the gospel, that sometimes when you're preaching the gospel, you'll you'll get in confrontation with some people. People will want to get confrontational with you, and they want to go at you, especially when you do it on a college campus, because obviously they think they know everything on a college campus, right? And so, you know, they want to debate you, they wanna this, they wanna that, and it's very easy for you or me <laughs> to lose your temper. But he says, Don't don't do that, don't fear them, don't, don't, don't do that. Again, we're just messengers. And, and Jesus makes it real clear, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me they're rejecting, right? We're just giving the message. So it's the same thing here. Again, parallels. That's why I say, you know, in the Bible, whether it's New Testament, Old Testament, there isn't anything new. The only thing is the cross. It comes through the cross, or it was before the cross, or it's after the cross, right? But everything comes through the cross. So when it comes through the cross, now Mm -hmm. it's directed towards the church, right?
1: Pastor, you were talking about evangelizing. When we talk to someone about Christ and we explain about salvation, and they reject it, are we supposed to just continue talking to that person? or?
0: That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You will kind of, you know, where he says, you know, I will be with you, I will put the words in your mouth. It's At that point, at some point, you have to make a decision whether you're going to keep on. If it's just going to be a debate, and they're going to go back and forth, they're going to forget your initial point. You want to make sure you drop that one little nugget. You're a sinner, you're going to hell. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. At least leave them thinking about that. Because if we start going back and forth on and on and on, then everything that we say gets lost. Right? It's like the wave comes in, washes the sand out, and they forget. But if you get someone that's actually engaging what you are saying then I would continue, because if they're actually talking about, well, well, how does that happen? Then you keep engaging that. But if they want to go on these tangents about, well, what about the dinosaurs and you know, all that other stuff? You know, that's a whole other discussion. But when you're there to do the gospel, it's just the gospel. So, any other comments? Good. Uh, let's see. So God's preparing Ezekiel for an unfavorable message at this point. He's telling him. It's not gonna be you know, a hot knife through butter at a fourth of July picnic. It's not gonna be real easy. So be ready. Uh, oh, lamentations, by the way. Lamentation is a is a passionate expression of grief. As it's translated from Hebrew here. It's a passionate expression of grief. In other words, it's like Jeremiah. You know, you don't realize you're going to be taken off this land that God has given you. You don't realize you're going to be in bondage to another country. You don't realize you've transgressed the law. You don't realize the implication for your children. You know, it's an expression of, of, of grief. So, you know, it's, it's, it's lamentations. You know, mourning and woe. Mourning is like for something that's lost. You know, and woe unto you. Right? Okay. Now, chapter 3. Here's a good one. Verse 1 to 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll. Go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach. Fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Now, if you didn't know this was a vision, you would think he's actually eating this, right? But we know it's a vision, so we can all let her, take our breath and go, Sigh. he's not eating it. I won't have to eat the Bible either. <laughs> you know, it's just, but basically you know, what he said, it's kind of like what Orly was saying, you know, you've got to study this, you've got to consume it, you've got to, you've got to take it in. It's a vision of, of, of you know, because again, when you, you know, you are what you eat, and so it's got to be a part of you. Um, he said to me, send a man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, go speak to the house of Israel. So in other words, the house of Israel, he's not going back here, because the house of Israel right now is in Babylon. So you're going to be saying this to these people in, in captivity. Not only are they stubborn and options they're mad about where they're at. And he's got to remind them, you're here because you messed up. So they're, they're going to be doubling that at him. Uh, And C says, I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Again, it's a vision. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach, fuel your body with this scroll I am giving you. Then I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. Why do you think it was sweet as honey in his mouth? Is what? Life, I mean, the bread of life. Um, It's not wrong. God's giving you something, a scroll from heaven. Mm -hmm. Eat it. It's sweet Mm -hmm. as honey. He's a prophet. He's supposed to go say, thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. So what is he eating? Salvation. No, what is he eating? That's in there. I'll give you a hint. (laughs) The word of God. Sweet as honey. Right, word of God is sweet as honey. So that's that's the point. So again, he's not going to say it's like that cheesecake at the cheesecake factory because there was no cheesecake factory. He couldn't say that, or the dessert at Woods Ranch, by the way. Thank you guys. Anyway, uh, you know, he can't say that. So what was the sweetest thing they had back then? Honey. Honey. So that's the reference. So again, manners and customs. Understand the manners and customs. You understand why he's saying that. But again, the bottom line is the word of God is sweet. It's tasty. It's, it's it's something that we should want to have. It's something that we should not say, "Oh no, I don't want any of that." It's something that we should be coming back to, right? Sweet as honey. Sounds like a song. Yeah. Anyway, before I start singing, let's go to verse four. <laughs> Everybody said, Amen. (laughs) Verse 4 to 7. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Right? See? So what is honey? His words. Speak my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. Nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. So he's saying, I'm sending you to your own people, right? People that you know a language that you know, people that you know, but they're going to be obstinate. They're going to be... Uh, uh, um, they didn't listen then. They're not going to want to listen now. It doesn't mean that they won't listen, all of them. He said, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be very, very difficult. And, and, yeah. Do point? Were the teachers of the law or, and the parishes already existing during those times? No. There were priests... That were teachers, but um, thanks for saying that. Because later on, where is it? And I was reading it today. Judgment, judgment, judgment. He's going to be talking about judgment. Um. In chapters 25 to 32, and some of that judgment, he's going to be talking about those priests and those people that did not lead the people the right way. Because they were responsible for educating them, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't do it. The Pharisees don't start, by the way, until after... they, They come about in between the Testaments. That's when the Pharisees start. And the Pharisees aren't an official religious party. They're more like a social group, but they were very devout men back then who were for scripture and stuff. But 300 years later, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they're just a political outfit and they're out for themselves. That's why he calls them hypocrites. But the Sadducees, they were the official religious party and they were the ones who ran the temple and did the sacrifices and all those things. So that's the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? Then you also had Essenes. Aseans were the ones who were out in the desert. They were the ones that uh, put the Dead Sea Scrolls out in the desert. They didn't really want to have much to do with people in the town. And then there's another group known as Zealots, And they were, Zealots. they were so, uh, thought they were doing the right thing. They were kind of like Saul when he was uh, after the church. They were like, you know, I'll fight you to, to the death over scripture. So there, that's what Zaliyahs were. So that was the four main groups there. But Sadducees were the ones who run the temple. So he sent to his own. Um, by the way, you know, this is a Jewish book. This is Jewish literature. It does not make Jewish people look very good. So that's one of the things when you look at when, you, when you're studying the Bible. Does this ring true? You know... If you were making up a history for yourself, you wouldn't put this kind of stuff in there. And what do conquerors do? They rewrite history. They they, they 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 change the the outcomes. And so this, you know, I mean, from from Genesis all the way through, these people are battling God. They don't look good, you know. But then, you know, what did we do? We battled God too, right? So uh, let's see. So, see, they're not going to listen to you. It's going to be tough. Notice he keeps telling them over and over. He wants to make sure he gets it. They're going to be rebellious. And he says, oh, by the way, he also tells him uh, in verse 8, he says, don't you be rebellious either. Just because they're rebellious, don't fight fire with fire. Don't you be rebellious either. So again, we don't get a chance to say, well, I wouldn't have done that if you wouldn't have done that. Can't do that. So, verse 8 to 11. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like Henry, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all of my words, which I shall speak to you, and listen closely. And go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them, and tell them whether they listen or not, thus says Lord God. So in other words, he says they have a hard head. Well, guess what? You're going to have a hard head too. You're going to be button heads. Yeah, you're going to be button heads. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. So again, for the church, we're doing the same thing. Thus saith the Lord, God says that if you're a sinner, you're separated from God and he calls you to repent and believe that he so loves you that he said he's only begotten, sent to die on the cross, pay the price And If you believe that... Well, I don't want to believe that. I don't believe that. But well, we got two trains going down the same track. Right? So, it's kind of like... The idea here is stand your ground, stay your ground, don't let them move you off. But, you know, at some point realize they're not always going to listen to you. And so this is more pronounced, most likely in our own families, than it is on people on the street. You know, when you encounter your own family, and you, especially if you're the first ones to get saved in your family, oh boy, like we were, um, you know, everybody else, you know, they're like, oh, they got, they got all these names for you, and they got all this stuff. You got to just kind of sit there, kind of like Jackie Robinson. You got to keep playing the game, and don't lash back. But just keep with what God has, has called you to do, and eventually it'll, it'll, it'll work out. So he says, go to the exiles, and the exiles are here. Uh, you know, and eventually he's going to be telling them, after he goes through all of this stuff about how bad it is and you know, how bad they are, he's going to be telling them, but I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to bring them back. You know, a remnant. And this is another theme in the Bible. God always moves through the remnant, a small group of people. He doesn't move through the entire masses because not everybody gets it at the same time. He'll do it with a remnant of people who now uh, share it with other others. So this is to the exiles, people in exile, his own his own people, people that he knows, and uh, probably a lot of the stuff you know that God is showing him in the vision he already knows. You know he, already know, he already knows they're like this, but God is really drilling it in, into into him. You know, this is not going to be uh, easy. Okay? Thoughts, yes. questions, comments? Yeah. I would in a
1: way, God is doing with Ezekiel what he did with Moses, sending him back to the house of Pharaoh and tell him, this is what I say, even though he won't obey
0: yeah, thanks for saying that, because also, because what did he do? He did the signs and wonders behind what he told Moses to say. Yeah. So he said, you know, because earlier when we read, he says, they will know that you're my prophet, yes. because what God is going to do behind that. So yeah, same. Very Okay, God does not repeat miracles, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in other words, he already parted the Red Sea. So that, that miracle is done. We, 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 we take that information there. But God will also do another miracle behind whoever he's sending to do whatever. So translate to us. God will do miracles behind us as he sends us forth. And he's, he does this kind of stuff all the time. Sometimes we, we, we don't even realize it, what he's doing. But yeah, see again, see now what you're picking up is the pattern. So again, this is theology. God's the same. God, God doesn't all of a sudden say, okay, I'm done doing that. Now I'm going to change everything. Forget everything you ever knew about me. Now something new. He doesn't do that. He builds off of what we know. Okay? So, in other, so now our package, our understanding of God is now greater. Huh? So, yeah. Good point. Really? Verse 12. Then the Spirit... Lifted me up. Now he doesn't say get up. The Spirit automatically is taking him. No, the Spirit says get up. The Spirit lifted me up. Now, okay, hold it right there. Because again, if we don't understand this is a vision, now we got Ezekiel flying. Right? But now we know it's a vision. He's not flying. Right? Okay. Uh, in, in chapter 1, there's not this uh, monster running around with eyes all around its head. And, you know, in all these wings and all this stuff, it was a vision of something, right? So we, we, we get that out of the way. So you, now you're so far ahead of the casual reader on this because you, you understand what God is is explaining here. Verse 12 again. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living "...beings touching one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, even a great rumbling sound. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and went, and I went embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river of Chabar at Tel Abib, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. Now remember, this is still a vision. This is a vision. He's seeing something future tense. Verse 16, Now it came about at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. Watchman means to observe observe these people you see when early on in Christianity I was—I had people tell me no, no no a watchman means that you're an intercessor and you're doing this and you're doing that no a watchman is you are watching the people and then God is going to tell you now go to the people he's going to place you in the midst of the people watch the people and I will give you a word for the people in the midst of this uh so, but he doesn't become the actual watchman until chapter 33, after he gets the visions and the signs and all that stuff. What he's just talking about now doesn't actually physically take place till chapter 33. And then four chapters after that is the Valley of Dry Bonds, right? So you know, at that point, it all, it all comes together. So you've seen a pattern vision so next week we're going to be in the signs a bit I'm not going to do all of them but we're going to get so we understand what the signs mean and and how God is leading him and so he says you know be there in verse 17 send a man I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel wherever you hear a word from my mouth warn them from me so when a prophet says whatever he says where does it come from from God so in other words he says you're going to tell them thus saith the Lord and now he makes it even more clear he says when you hear a word from my mouth this is a word from my mouth not my mouth but God's." that's why when the prophets came over here before they they, they went in captivity all they were doing was quoting scripture he said you broke the commandment you you broke the contract that you had with God You said that you would obey God, you know, Mount Sinai, and you would follow him, and you would do this, and you transgressed the law, and you did this, but if you will return, the Lord will restore, you know, favor on you and keep you on the land and all that. They don't make up stuff. This this is where sometimes a prophet, the idea of a prophet, gets misconstrued because a prophet is thus saith the Lord, not the Lord told me something secret that nobody else knows about. The reason that doesn't work is because God is no respecter of persons. Why would he tell one person and not tell you? That would make him a respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. So that's a prophet. Thus saith the Lord, we speak the word of God. You and I, when we quote scripture, verbatim, it's thus saith the Lord. It's a prophetic word. It's not the Lord told me to tell you to paint your hair blue and stand on the street. And you know, No. You're quoting scripture. That's prophetic. That's what God has said. See, again, and he gets, by the way, in Ezekiel, he does a whole section on false prophecies, false teachers, all of that stuff. He, he condemns all of them. and uh, Because, you know, they take it and they twist it and they misuse it for their own good. And uh, uh, that's why, again, 24 chapters are making sure he gets it right. You're you're not going to... Ezekiel, you're not going to have a bad day and decide to make something up because you're mad at them. Oh, by the way, the Lord told me to tell you. Your chariot's going to catch on fire. uh, No. You know? No. You just stay with what God is is saying. Yes?
1: Verse 14... I don't understand
0: the second part of the verse. And I went embittered. Oh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that. Let me read it. Verse 14. So the spirit lifted me up. Right? spirit lifted him up. Took me away. And I went embittered in the rage of my spirit. And the hand of the Lord was strong on me. So he was embittered in his own spirit. Embittered meaning he was in turmoil about what was going on because... He's now got to go tell these people. Mm -hmm. It's not the Holy Spirit that's making him him better. It's it's himself. Not unlike Jeremiah. Not unlike parts of uh, um, Isaiah, where Isaiah gets, you know... I mean, think about it. I've got to spend who knows how long, it's going to be 22 years of delivering a message to people who don't want to hear the message. Knowing every day that I wake up, I might be saying it to someone, and there's a chance that they probably won't hear me. Because again, they all don't come back. And even when... when, They come back during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is basically where the Old Testament ends chronologically. That's when they're coming back onto the land. But only a remnant of people come back. A lot of them stay there. They decide, they say, oh, well, it's okay. We're going to stay over here. That's why when you heard me do the, what was it, on Easter, you know, we're talking about bunny rabbits. And you said, how do you get bunny rabbits and eggs when Easter? And then remember when I did the thing on Passover, and I said on the Passover plate, all of a sudden the egg crept up on the plate? Where'd it come from? It came from Babylon. Babylon was a fertility cult. They worshipped uh, those that can reproduce, and so that's the Easter egg and the bunny. Rabbits do what? Reproduce, like <laughs> right? And the egg—that's where that comes from. By the way, um, that god that they worship, fertility—you know the name? Ishtar. Well we get the name Easter. Yeah. That's what we like to say. We like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Yeah. I call it Feast of First Fruits. Yeah. Easter is Ishtar. Yeah. That's where the rabbits and all that stuff came from. <laughs> yeah, so. that was for free, no charge for that. <laughs> so, you're armed and dangerous now. You got Any there thoughts on that? Okay. It's good, good discussion tonight. Uh, verse 18. When I say to the wicked... Now notice what he says. When God says to the wicked... Now he's calling... He was They were rebellious. They were obstinate. Now the wicked. Right? When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you do not warn them or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live... That wicked man shall die in his inequity, but his blood will will require at your hand. Huh? Let me read it again. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live that wicked man shall die in his inequity, in other words his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. You still want to be a prophet? <laughs> See, some people look at, Well, oh, I'm a prophet of the Lord. <laughs> no, God's not playing games here. And so basically what he's telling him is just deliver the message whether you feel like it or not. Because they're going to be troublesome, obstinate. It's going to be like sitting on scorpions and whatever worse. Deliver that message because if you don't, I'm going to hold you accountable because I called you to do that. Right? So, pick it up, put it today. We're called to do what? Preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, we're called to do it. So we need to be a part of that idea of preaching the gospel somehow, some way. And today in the church, you know, it's not that everybody has to be a door knocker and everybody has to go to Winchels Donuts and and, you know and preach the gospel, hang out on a corner. that's not what we're talking about. There is that actual component of that. Some of it happens in, in church. a lot of it ha- has to do with inviting people to church. A lot of it has to do with nowadays clicking on Facebook, you know liking doing that kind of stuff, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, uh, praying for God to open up a door for the gospel to be heard. It's a lot of things like that. It's not that every single person has to you know knock on that same door. You know, But we, we have to be in the process, if nothing else, praying for salvation, pray for those around you, pray for your family members, pray for your neighbors, pray for you know, whoever, be p- part of that in there. But he's saying to him, you know, this idea of a prophet, it's not cavalier. It's not, it's not something that, you know, oh, look at me now, I'm a prophet, right? No, it's hard work. I would always hear the phrase, you can tell by their fruits, their behavior. Mm -hmm. You can tempt somebody who may be weak if you're not behaving accordingly to
1: what Mm -hmm. you know is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. You, You could actually soft sell, not sell, but you could actually inspire somebody just by the nature of your calmness and the way you have faith. And without even saying anything to somebody, they may
0: ask you, how do you keep it together? They will observe us, yes, absolutely, 100%. Because again, when it says we're a city set on a hill, what does that mean? That means we're there, that people can see us, and people are looking at us. And so, you know, when you say you are a Christian, the first thing that happens, you become a target. Right? You're a target. Because they're just waiting for you to mess up. Or say something, oh, I thought you were a Christian. No, I didn't say I was perfect. I said I was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. Where are you going when you die? Boom. Door open for the gospel. But by the fruit, yes. We should conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of Scripture. That fruit that's hanging off our spiritual tree should be at any point in time. Someone should be able to come up to you and gather from you something that they need or you have something to give them. Whether it's a hug, whether it's a good word, whether it's a free lunch, I don't know, orally I'm available Sunday. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> You know, whether it's anything like that, it's its its the idea that someone should... People think I'm crazy, I know. That, that, <laughs> I'm comfortable on my own skin. Mm. Uh, that people should be able to come up to you and, and, and feel good about it. Or it's like somebody will say... I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. They gravitate towards you. Or you'll be in, a, in an office setting, and they have a problem or something's going on, and they have no one to talk to but you. And they come to you and they say, I, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but I, I just kind of feel like I can share this with you. Boom, that's, that's fruit hanging on your tree. Because you have created that environment. Right? If you want to see that in action, just wait till when service is over on Sunday morning and look at all the people that are crowding around Juicy. And even before service, they crowd around me. They walk right by her. <laughs> whole different story well. because of what she's created. You know, you 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 want that, right? Because what
1: God has put on me, right? I mean, so I didn't really create it right? no
0: you didn't create it God gave it to you and but you you don't hold on to it you don't you, you, you share it it's just there it's just part of who you are they don't do it because you're saying hey come over here come over." <laughs> they just gravitate towards you because there's something there like what Raymond was talking about there's that fruit hanging on your tree and people I mean it, it's, it's not any different than if you're walking by an apple tree and you look at it and then, well there's no, there's nothing there but you know when there's a ripe apple. And it just happens to be hanging low enough. <laughs> you know, just so you know. So yeah, that's exactly what that means. Yeah. I have another question. Okay.
1: Where he says he will require his blood on the prophet. Is he talking about his soul?
0: What he's talking about is that going back to the law, in a sense that if you commit murder because they were going to die in their sins, blood is required. So he's aligning it with that. So, But basically, he's not saying, I'm going to be watching you because if you don't... Okay, you're out of here. I'm going to get somebody else. No, he's just reinforcing it for him and for us, Mm -hmm. the depth and the nature of this call. and, And how important it is. So again, for us, how important it is to share the gospel. How important it is to have fruit hanging on our tree. Because that's sharing the gospel as well. By the way, thanks for bringing that up. Because that's sharing the gospel as well. Because now you are showing the change in you that other people see. And the, first, they won't. They, they, I don't know why. There's just something about you. Well, yeah, it's that change that God has put on you, right? And so people gravitate towards you for whatever reason, and then you make yourself available. To them, but no, it's not the idea that God is waiting to you know stamp him out or anything like that. He's just a reference to it because He's just saying, "Make sure you go, make sure you do this." It's not going to be an easy call. It's just like uh, anything you know that we do for the Lord isn't always going to be easy. It's sometimes going to require us to come out of our comfort zone, right? So you know, again, you know, the pastor says it from the pulpit. We're talking life and death. We're not talking about whether there's a a, a a fancy car in the garage. We're talking about life and death, eternity. That's that's the message here. The other stuff is, you know, God gives you as God, you know, sees fit to do. So, uh, oh, and, and then by the way, the other thing is, this is before grace. So it's still by the Old Testament law. If he was giving this on this side of the cross, if that's the Old Testament, this is new, then he would say, "My grace is sufficient for you based upon your repentance, right? So again, thanks for bringing that up because again, God hasn't revealed that mercy and grace through Jesus Christ yet and the church element yet. It's there, but it hasn't totally been revealed until Jesus ministry on the cross is finished. Right? So okay. See all the stuff you find in the old testament? It's just it's just right there. It's like uh it's, it's it's like gold that you don't have to mine for. It's laying on the ground. You know, I don't know if you've ever been up to uh to the gold country, highway forty nine, where all the all the gold things were. There were literally towns there. That the gold was so plentiful that after a rainstorm you could literally see gold in the in the streets. In the I've been able to find any yet, but it's the, <laughs> back then it, it was that it was that easy. And uh, you can still pan for gold there, by the way. Chasing a rabbit, you know, if you go up Highway Forty Nine and you'll see, especially in the springtime when the snow is melting, and and they have little streams by there, and you see cars parked and you see kids, you just get a little pan. Put all the dirt in there and swing it around. Look at a little... There's that much gold up there. So help you get on that subject. Anyway, close this out. Verse 19. Uh, verse 19, following up on what he said. He said, yet if you have warned the wicked, right? And he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his inequity, but you have delivered yourself. Right? And again, he uses the term delivered. That's kind of a New Testament phrase. Delivered. See? So you have delivered yourself. So again, give the message. Pretty clear. Uh, Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits inequity, which is sin, I place an obstacle before him. He shall die. The obstacle before him is the law. Uh, he shall die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man, and the righteous should not sin, but he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself. He's basically saying the same thing a different way. Then he says again, 22, And the hand of the Lord was on me there. And he said to me, Get up and go out to the plain, and there I will speak to you. Remember, this is still a vision. He's not actually doing this. Go out to the plain, and I will speak to you. So I got up and went out to the plain. And behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory which I saw by the river Shabar, and I fell on my face. What do people do when they see the glory of God? Bam. What would I do? What would you do? (laughs) It would be, you know, Uh, verse 24. The Spirit then entered me and made me stand on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself up in your house. For you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be dumb and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. Now right here, now we're confused. Wait a minute, God, what are you doing? Now 27. But then I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let him hear and he refuses, let him refuse for they are a rebellious house. He's not saying, I'm going to take your tongue and stick it to your mouth like you got a jar of sticky peanut butter and you won't be able to to, to say anything and you're just going to be, "Mm, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am not going to be speaking to you to tell you to say anything to them. So therefore, don't go out and start saying, thus saith the Lord on your own. Wait for my direction. Because remember, Notice where it says he got up. It didn't say the Spirit entered him. It says he got up and then he went out there. So the then the Spirit entered him again. So what do we glean from this? From chapter 1, the Spirit moving? We want him to do a task. When he's not doing the task, when it's time to do the task. Not doing the task. Doing the task. See, that's why we live in such a blessed time, is that when the Holy Spirit fell on us in Acts chapter two, does not leave. Okay. Here, full time ministry. So, that's it. I'm going to hold it right there. Thoughts, questions? Yeah, I got a question on that. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Uh, okay. <laughs> Verse twenty-five. and new yes. son of man. They will tie with ropes. Who are they? Where are they in there? he's referring to the people that don't want to okay. listen to me. It's, it's it's kind of a metaphor for they're going to tie you with ropes and they're going to keep you from 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 doing. There's there's no, I don't believe there's a reference in there where they actually physically do this to him. I could be wrong, but it's 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 the idea more of a metaphor of that they by the way they treat you by the way it's you're going to be you're going to feel useless. You're going to feel like you can't move. You can't do anything because. They're not going to let you. Because he says, don't fear them, remember? They're going to do this, they're going to do that. Don't fear them. It's going to be like sitting on scorpions. It's going to be, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, again, understand the visions in the form that it's a vision. He's warning them of stuff. They're not actual occurrences. But it's a metaphor and a parable for what's going to be happening. Because remember, a parable is not necessarily a true story, but it conveys the biblical truth. It helps you understand the biblical truth. Um, with the required blood, does that equal death? And if it does equal death, does that equal going to hell? Yes. If if when he's talking about here, they will not listen and they're going to die in their sin, yes. Uh, but it's going back to the law. It's going back to Mount Sinai when it talks about if you transgress the law, your death is required. And again this is the the whole point why we need a savior, because we all fall short. We all show so we, we we can't measure up, you know. People think, okay, Ten Commandments, that's pretty tough. Yeah, well there's six hundred and thirteen in the old testament alone. And there's more in the New Testament, I forget how many, three hundred and you know, and so uh that's again mercy and grace. Glad we're on this side of Mercy and grace. But yeah, blood is required. It's it's a reference to the law. So again, he's not going to speak in terms of Jesus Christ and mercy and grace because mercy and grace have not been given at this point. It's all under the law. You transgress the law, therefore you die in your sins. You don't make it. Um, Right? And so, again, so when people sometimes read the Old Testament and they get bits and pieces and they say, I don't like this God. No, God's not saying this is what I, I'm waiting to do. This is a result of people not listening to me over hundreds of years. And in cases, you know, really over thousands of years from what God has been doing since the time of uh, Adam. We got booted out of the garden. And no the whole point is to get back in the garden. Which, in a sense, happens through Jesus Christ. So, any other thoughts, questions?
1: You're sure making this clear and faster.
0: I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Again, it's it's just patterns. There's certain patterns. Once you know the pattern, what God is saying, how He's saying it. Oh, it's a vision. It's not actually happening. Oh, it's a sign. I get it. And then we'll talk to. Okay, this is what He's actually saying to the people, and this is how the people responded. Then we'll get to that kind of part, but the vast majority of it is getting him ready to say it. That's that's the vast majority of Ezekiel. Uh But you see, it's 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 uh, we have to understand how it was written and and all that other stuff. So next week we're going to start in chapter four. Chapter four to chapter twenty-four. You can write this (coughs) down. You don't have. I I I think I might have left it in your in your handout, but chapters. 4 to 24, basically are going to be referring to the judgment that's going to be on Judah. Judah is a southern tribe of Israel. And then you say, okay, why the southern tribe? Because at that time, that was the only part of Israel that was left, because 150 years before, the northern kingdom was taken captive captive by the Assyrians, and they were up here. And they were the ones that... uh, 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 a f- only a few of them come back, and they become the people that live in Samaria. You know the, the, that story when Jesus is, is, is talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he says, "You you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know." It's because they 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 did their own tempo. They did a whole separate thing. They were Jews in Samaria. They just thought of themselves as different than the other Jews, and so that's why there was this little town there that uh, uh, didn't like it. But they were people that had trickled back from here. Jesus' time, the people that lived here, the vast majority came from people that came back from Babylonian captivity and then over the next 400 years they multiplied. And so uh, that's how this is. So there was two captivities. But this one is referring to when it says Judah, Jerusalem, It's talking about the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was basically Judah and Benjamin, but that's where the temple was. Uh, Chapters 25 to 32 are judgment on the Gentiles. So that part is going to be, God's talking about the judgment that he's going to bring on the Gentiles. All the people that were around them that made war with the people uh, here against God's people, he's, he's, he's judging them. And so he's going to be, talking about it here and then chapters 33 to 48 that's about the restoration of Israel and how I'm going to bring them back and who they're going to be and all this stuff And, and you know uh, so I will end it with this is that when you look at this and realize this was written 26, 2700 years ago there could have been a big problem because when it was written, they weren't back on the land. <laughs> we know they did come back on the land, right? And they were on the land uh, under Roman rule. And then in 70 AD, they were kicked off the land. And then they wouldn't didn't return until 1948. And then they didn't get Jerusalem back until 1967. So if... They're not on the land, the restoration. We've got a problem with Ezekiel. Yeah. But God did restore them to the land. And by the way, when they came back in the 1800s, you know, when they, when they were dispersed, they were coming back, they were trying to buy land in different places. The Rothschild family was, was bankrolling uh, the Israelis. And at one point, they were going to buy. A city in France, and uh, that fell through. And so the bankers, the Rothschild family, they came over here and they started buying land back here. Land that God gave them, they started buying it back in the 1800s. They're doing the kibbutzes, the, the, the uh, communal uh, uh, farms and stuff. So they started buying uh, land back, and the problem was nothing was growing, it was a dust bowl. You know when God said that He would He would bless them and He would bless their land, and He would bring them back, and it would be fruitful. Well, the Ottoman Empire that had it was more than glad to sell the land because nothing would grow. Yeah. And this went on from like 1860 into about 1920 something. Then all of a sudden, the Ottoman Empire and this idea of Palestinian nationalism wanted the land back and the reason they wanted the land back is because now it was thriving (laughs) now the crops were growing and by the way people don't, you don't hear about it but the, the crops that they grow in this fertile crescent right here and especially down in here you get more per acre here than any place else in the world but God said he would bless the land and he would make it bountiful so you know all these little. Look, so, okay, I'll stop right there because they got really hours with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, just close. Any questions?